0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado.
0: The King's Pulse Podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional and upload it, all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
1: Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the lost. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Well, I like to see Fox force five in the open
0: court pocket. Fox again. Goodbye. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse NBA podcast. I am your host Brendan Nunez, and today we have Rich on here
1: again as usual. How are you doing, it man? Very good, Brendan. I am excited to talk more about these here Kings. Yeah, and it's been rough
0: over, well, we haven't covered the last two games, but over the last seven, they're two and 2-5. You want to just kind of start with maybe what you saw in that that Utah game
1: with the real slow start there? It was a rough one. However, Bagley got his start at center. So, I was pretty excited about that, honestly. And, you know, it didn't go great. What else are you really going to expect against Rudy Gobert? It's, it's okay. kind of unfair to give Bagley his first start at center against the probably the best defensive player in the league and possibly one of the best defensive players of all time, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, and we saw Grayson Allen have his career high, 23 points, was all of a sudden a great defender, and really they just got outscored by 15 points in that first quarter, 9 in the second, or 11 in the second, and never really came back from that. It was rough. They played the night before and then flew to Utah. Utah's been playing really well. I don't think that it's necessarily something to hang your head about, but you never like to get blown out like that. I mean, this team really would love to end the season with 40 wins, and now you only have one game left to do that.
1: It's tough. I think there's a scenario where Portland can be locked in and that would be great for the Kings, I think. Um, if they are going to rest some of their guys, that would be nice. I, I still feel personally very attached to a 41 season here. It's a way that, that it could be locked in the the Rockets at the three, Trailblazers at the four. It's certainly possible.
0: Yeah, and I was really hoping that that last home game of the season against the Pelicans, they'd be able to pull it off. But it seemed like you know the Pelicans have some guys that are playing in order just to be in the NBA next year, playing for contracts, things like that. And it was crazy high scoring. The defense wasn't really great. I mean, they had a really nice run for a little while there. We saw a Fox and Bagley pick and roll that I feel like we haven't seen very often this year. And it worked pretty well at one point in the third there. But I mean, if you can't stop Jaleel Okafor, Ian Clark's going crazy. I mean, it was just poor defense and it, really a lot of defenses effort so it seems like the kings have almost i don't want to say checked out but they don't seem i mean they're not locked in that's for sure
1: that's what the play on the court would lead you to believe i, I mean it didn't feel like they were putting in a ton of effort i mean this is the last game last home game of the season they should be fired up i would think that a 40 win mark or for, uh, the potential of a 41 win season a 500 season meant a lot to those guys that's gone now, but yeah, I mean, this one really, really stung the The team got booed on their home court and and what was supposed to be, and what is still ultimately impressive hugely impressive season, a big turnaround season, but then I saw after the game tweet from Carmichael Dave about how the team had gone nine and fifteen since the all star break, and that is poor and he he mentioned that when you extrapolate that out. The, at a nine and 15 pace and that i mean that sent me spiraling is this team just a 31 team and they played well in the first half and, and that was all an illusion or places that night had trouble sleeping what about yourself
0: yeah i mean i think they definitely slowed down a little bit maybe it was those expectations but at the same time i feel like the schedule got more difficult so golden state we saw boston twice There's two Houston games. We just played that Utah team that was on fire. We know what the Clippers do to us. I mean, there's easy games in there, but I felt like at the beginning of the year, it was just a bit of an easier schedule and maybe people were sleeping on the Kings a little more. So I don't worry about it too much, but my concern is that, is it just that people were starting to take the Kings seriously and is that something that's going to affect us going into
1: next year? it's a real possibility there's a lot of differences between the the first half of this season for the Kings i just want to put put out here i looked up the first half record obviously it was 30 and 27 before the all-star break it's not it's not really half not really first half second half but we use the all-star break really to di- uh, divide the season but a 30 and 27 record that equates out to a 43 win team and then, like I said, the 9.15 cents that equates out to a 31 team. However, net rating of the team, th- they're almost identical. So they're actually better since the All Star game rating basis. So they were playing at a negative 1.2 uh, rate in the first half of the season, and then they're up just a hair uh, to negative 1.1. So. Here is that really this team is, is kind of in the middle of those two figures. What we saw in the first half were playing a little bit above their heads. They weren't really a 43 win team or on pace for that. And now they're playing a little bit below, below. And they're obviously not, I don't think that they're a 30 win team either. So they're expected to win loss this season based on those net ratings and 43 as of right now so all right to me 38 39 win team I mean obviously that's what they're going to put together here but this team feels like quite in that 500 uh range that range of a, of a 500 team so I don't know I, I think they did play a little bit better than they maybe should have in the first half and, and obviously playing a little bit worse than they should now
0: yeah. And to me, I think that they're somewhere in the middle there that, you know, people are going to have their runs. They did make a difference in the locker room with getting rid of Shump. They brought in Barnes, which should make you better on paper. And I think that defensively it's made a difference, but there's a little bit of adjusting to do. Collie Stein has been getting less minutes and I, I don't know. It doesn't worry me too much. Obviously it's not great when you were looking for that eight seed playoff push. But I don't know. I still think it's the, it's the strength of schedule, really. I mean, you lost some ones you shouldn't for sure, like that Washington game, two New Orleans games. There were some that you just had no business losing and you still did. But overall, I've been happy with their basketball for the most part, except these last two games are the ones that have really felt like their lack of effort. And I get there's nothing that you're technically playing for anymore. But like you said, I mean, this 40 win mark, you could have gone 500. That would have been amazing for this team. And now to do it on the road in Portland, I mean, there's a chance, like you said, maybe Portland's locked up. They don't need to play anybody and they're resting. But I don't know. I, I just think that they should have had more effort in these last two games. I mean, you need to be pushing for for something, at least good momentum going into the next offseason or something like that.
1: Right. And there's a few other things that I think could be attributed to the early success in the season. Obviously, the pace was a big thing. I think the Kings obviously surprised a lot of teams with how fast that they were running, how fast they were taking the ball, run to the basket, and especially considering how that was really not expected. I mean, considering last year, Last season, they were among the slowest teams in the league, I believe dead last. So you certainly had opposing teams on their heels there. Anya Bielitza was just like completely on fire. I think he was hitting around 50% of his threes for the first couple months of the season, which again, no one really saw coming. Yeah, Probably weren't that worried about Bielitsa you know what I mean, at the time. And then and then also on the flip side of that, Bogey of slump in the second half, which I think brought us down a little bit there as well. Yeah, I would
0: agree with that. I mean, I think there's just things that need to be figured out with this team in general. They're young, and now they have respect of other people. Belly at the beginning of the year, like you talked about, he was insane, and I think that's why he really won that starting lineup for a long time. He looked like he was going to be really good player for a while too because he was it wasn't like a five game stretch or anything like that it felt like it was a good month plus where belly was just playing out of his mind i thought that this guy just didn't get enough opportunity anywhere else and we finally fit him but obviously regressed to the mean a little bit and he's still really nice i'm happy i want to say we have him for two more years
1: on a pretty good contract that's right, yeah. He's one more year of guaranteed money, and then uh, he's a non-guarantee the f- year following. And all yeah, all pretty good. I mean, around $7 million, 7.5, that's uh, loving that. I mean, that's, that's great. That's basically a one plus one with a team option going forward. All right, so
0: it's one more game from getting this 40-win mark in Portland on Wednesday. What is your prediction for that one?
1: I think there's a pretty good chance the Kings can pull this off and hit the 40-win mark the trailblazers are very very good at home 31 and 9 on the season so not a great look there however if rockets beat the thunder then we're pretty much in the clear uh, especially if the rockets win and then the the blazers take out the lakers uh, tomorrow night that's tuesday the uh, blazers are locked in and i imagine especially on the back to back they'll just want to rest some of their guys and start playing for the playoffs. So there's a real chance that I think the Kings can, can go steal a game up North. And man, I would really truly be relieved because like you said, this last little stretch of two and five basketball, it has left a sour taste in my mouth here.
0: Yeah. I really wanted that 500 Mark. It's just so nice to be even rather than a negative record overall, even just to be able to say 40 wins instead of 39. It just sounds so much more clean especially after being predicted by a couple places to be literally the worst team in the league I've seen on some of them so it'd be so nice to hit this mark I don't care if there's the asterisk where where dame and CJ both don't play or anything like that I just want to see them get that win and I'm same as you I think that they'll be able to pull it off
1: yeah here's hoping um and yeah I don't care this it's all asterisks at this time of the year right I mean can we get an asterisk for losing to the the pelicans without holiday and without 80 without randall i mean yeah jeez
0: yeah hopefully i'm gonna try and forget about that one it's pretty gross but to move on here i got a couple questions that we're gonna start doing weekly here from reddit and the first one we got here i'm gonna read out these usernames as, as we go along who asked him a little bit of a shout out this is hammerific quite a name we got what odds do you give that jaeger returns it feels like the majority of the fan base wants him back but there's cryptic stuff coming from Grant This seems to suggest it might not be happening. In regards to what he's saying with Grant, I kind of feel that. It feels like in the broadcast, he's almost criticizing him a lot. Like a lot of times he's talking about, right now, you need to have your best five players out there. Um, Bagley should be coming in. Where's Fox? That type of thing. And I think we've talked about it a little bit. They've thrown the comparison around of Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr, which... I just don't really see. My thing is that there's not a better coach out there. I
1: feel like that I'd rather have. I mean, what are your opinions on bringing Jaeger back? Right. Well, that's all well and good. If we can hire the next Steve Kerr. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if wh- who's the next Hall of Fame coach that hasn't, hasn't been a head coach? Because uh, yeah, I well, will hire that guy. Of course, I would like to see Dave Jaeger back. What it comes down to is a tremendous leap and it would be so crazy to remove the head coach from that equation. Yes, it's super hard to where that improvement is coming from. Is it just these players were just bound to be this good? It didn't matter who the coach was, that Fox was going to take this leap regardless, that Bagley was going to come in looking pretty strong right off the bat regardless, that Buddy was just going to one of the best shooters in the entire league? I mean, was it are are all these certainties? Was he ready to play starting shooting guard every night, no matter who coached him? It's really hard to tell. It's really hard to it's really hard to say, okay, you know, here here's how much of the credit goes to Vlade Divots, here's how much of the credit goes to Dave Yeager, here's how much goes to the individual players. But it's kind of also beside the point, you don't mess with it, right?
0: Yeah. I feel like changing it up is one of the worst things you can do. If you're not that sure about them. give them a one-year, something like that. But to me, if you're just changing it up with no real plan on who's going to take over, like I looked at some of the guys available. I saw both the Van Gundy brothers. There's a David Blatt who's overseas. Jerry Stackhouse, Frank Vogel. I mean, to me, none of those are head and shoulders above Dave Yeager. I mean, they're about on the same level and you're just changing things up. I think that the players like him, even if it took a little bit of time to grow. Um, I Like you're saying, I mean, I don't see someone better out there. There's a legit argument for him to be coach of the year this year. And like you said, it's hard to know where to give this credit to on the Kings team being good. But I don't feel like the coaching is holding them back in any sort of way or putting a cap on this team.
1: No, absolutely not. There is an issue, however, possibly a personality issue, an attitude issue, Um, some conflicting personalities between Brandon Williams, Dave Yeager, and Marvin Bagley's dad, as we've talked about a little bit last week. And Jason Jones wrote another piece uh, this week uh, specifically on this topic. So if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, I definitely recommend reading that. That basically talks about how Jaeger has been able to connect with the younger guys and it questions his ability to keep this group on his side going forward. It's a really interesting article because it it does have all these quotes from guys like Fox and guys like Bagley. The quotes kind of are saying, yeah, it's getting better, which is interesting because I haven't seen quotes previously saying that it was bad. Yeah. So maybe that's my own fault. Maybe I missed that. I didn't know that it was bad. I I don't I don't know that it ever was bad. It's an interesting question, and certainly it is bad between Brandon Williams and Dave Yeager. That that's a real issue. We know that Brandon Williams has a larger role than most assistant GMs. I mean, it may come down to Vivek and the ownership group keeping one of these guys. If they keep the, the GMs together, if they keep Vlade, maybe it does become Vlade or Jaeger and and it becomes one or the other. And that's a terrifying thought. And I've heard other names thrown out there as well about coaching, Uh, the coaching position. Luke Walton becomes available. I've heard that he very attractive guy. You see the connection there to Vivek. They both have shared time with the Warriors but then again, you know, I mean, listen, Luke Walton has a job currently, so that could cause some stuff. Uh, and I heard other names thrown out there that honestly, some names that like honestly drought my jaw a little bit. So no point in bringing that up. I don't know how real those speculations are. I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, I mean, maybe if you're super high on Luke Walton, uh, which Vivek could, could very well be. I guess I can see, I can squint my eyes and see why they would want to pursue that. But aside from that, it's not like there's any guys knocking on the door for a coaching position. Let me just throw this name out there. One name I gratefully haven't heard is Jason Kidd because that would be just huh. the world. <laughs> yeah. You imagine. No,
0: thank you. It was, that's exactly what I'm talking about where I don't feel like Jaeger's doing what Kidd did to Milwaukee here. Like Boutenholzer obviously did a lot and made that team better. But I also think it was partially kid holding them back a little bit and not 100%. playing the right style for that team. And I don't feel like Jaeger's doing that. Like, I really like Luke Walton. I think that it's kind of unfair that he's getting all this hate for the Lakers. They've had a crazy amount of injuries. There's all this drama around them with the AD things. I mean, how are you going to keep that locker room happy? These guys playing together. I like Luke Walton, but I don't see changing it up unless... Like you're saying, I mean, I read that Jason Jones article too. And it was interesting to get that impression of it's getting better. Like it was something before, but then in the rest of the article, he kind of talked about how he was a player coach and he really gets along with the personalities of the players and things like this. So I don't know. I'm not for changing it up. I want Jaeger back for sure. I'm set on that. Unless there's something behind the scenes that we don't know of and there's these issues with all the players going on, I guess. I mean, I feel like the management and coaching Jaeger in that article said he's done a fair enough good job of saying, you know, you guys do your aspect of the job. I'm not going to tell you who to get or anything like that, which isn't great. I mean, you want a little bit of interaction there. But these guys, there's no way they can't coexist. You know, winning solves everything. This team's starting to play a little bit better. And you just don't mix it up when you just started to get this quote-unquote winning formula.
1: Right. And to go back to the question at hand, if I had to put odds on it, I'm actually pretty worried. I I saw that Sam Amick of The Athletic as well I meant on one of his articles about Dave Yeager and how like, this exact question was put out there to him. And he said, I believe he put it at 65% that oh. Dave Yeager returns next year, which is not very good for a coach that just a, a team's win total by, you know, 14, 13, 14 wins would honestly, if I had to guess, I, I think that it's even lower than that. Just based on the fact that there is all the speculation, Knowing what's going on, um knowing that there is something going on with Brendan Williams. Into my head, I think that Jaeger does return, but I think that it's pretty darn close, like fifty-one, fifty-two percent.
0: Yeah, I think it's a little just hard to ignore what's going on. You know, everything's pointing towards him leaving, but logically it doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know. I don't I just don't screw this up, you know. There's something yeah, good please. going on. And the last thing is that you fire a coach and not able to bring in a better one or anything like that. You make these young superstars in the making unhappy. I mean, it really comes down to, I want to keep this core together and whatever coaching is going to best work best with them, obviously, but they need to be happy. And that's how these guys are going to progress and play the best basketball that they can together. I really worry about him not coming back because like you're saying, it is pointing towards that. Maybe I'm being a little more optimistic, which isn't even a great number. I like the chances of that Sam Amick number.
1: I'm going to go with 65 there. That sounds smart. I mean, he knows way more than I do. So (laughs) it'd be smart for me to just defer to him. Yeah, maybe that was a cheap answer by me, just taking his percentage. It's probably right. Yeah, and you know, one other thing I wanted to just ask you – I mean, I know that you want to keep Dave Yeager. I want to keep Dave Yeager. I would imagine most sensible fans want to keep Dave Yeager. But if he were to go, are you like devastated? Or do you think that this team goes right back down to the 26, 27, 28 win mark? I would just assume that there was stuff that we didn't
0: know. That there were things going on. I mean, obviously, more than just the Brandon Williams or there was more of a reasoning to that specifically, I would just blindly just hope is mainly what it is, that there is something more to it, that it wasn't just looking to upgrade. So I, I wouldn't lose hope quite yet. I would just pray that there had to be some other reason that he, the players didn't get along with him or something like that. I wouldn't give it up yet. What about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that there's, there has been growth here, period. Whether that was 100% due to Dave Yeager may, may be the case, but I think that growth has occurred. So even if in a worst case scenario, Dave Yeager is let go, team is still, you know, gonna be in the 30s to 40s wins next year. You know, unless they do something stupid and hire Jason Kidd. Sorry, Jason Kidd, yeah. really taking a beating in this conversation. But it's also worth noting that Jaeger does have one more year on his contract. Usually, coaches don't coach with one year on their contract. It's seen as this unacceptable thing because they're coaching for their job, allegedly, and it usually doesn't work that way. But with Dave Jaeger, you know, he did agitate to leave Memphis. Because he wanted more job security. At least that was what was reported at the time. So, if the Kings go into next season not having done anything, meaning that they keep our contract and don't extend him, I think that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah. And even throughout the player base and the fan base, too, I mean, you want to know what's going on. Like, this team needs some security to it. Absolutely. So, part two of this question. And we hear this one a lot, so this is probably going to be one of the last times that I'm going to feel the need to answer this one. What free agents do you think Vlade is looking at pitching offers to? I mean, this says any new, but it's really, I mean, there's not new people that are going to be free agents, and there's certain guys that fit. It's We're looking at a wing starting slash role kind of center rim protector. Maybe can space a little bit and a backup point guard. Some of the names we've looked at for, say, the point guard position, Beverly, Corey Joseph, Ricky Rubio on a lesser so. And the center, of course, you see Vucevic, Max thrown around, Deadman, Lopez. And then the wings is kind of where it gets a little bit more interesting because you're not looking for someone for crazy minutes. But I mean, is there any new names that you've thought up recently? Be
1: honest, I have not thought of anyone new. Uh, I've had a couple revelations about guys we've talked about that were older. Looked at Rashawn Holmes' rebounding a little bit more closely, and I, I didn't realize that he is a very poor rebounder, especially uh, defensively. So, really, well, really both offensively and defensively. So, I'd kind of viewed him as. Those issues, but Bagley really rebounds at the same rate. So again, I was just looking more closely at Bagley as a center option. That's what I want. I I know he's still a year or two away physically of being big enough and strong enough to defend the average center, but that I'm still locked into just wanting to get. A shorter term solution at center, and then and then move badly there eventually. And I'm I think that I'm souring on Rashawn Holmes personally.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of one of his next questions a little bit there too. That what are the positions we need to go after? Touched on that, and you hear a lot of starting center rumors that we're looking for, which gives him the impression we won't ever start Bagley at center. I don't think that's what that means. I think that. They're filling the hole a little bit right now that maybe management doesn't feel the exact same way you do, where they want to start Bagley at center right away, which may be the best move moving forward. Maybe, you know, eventually if you're thinking that front court starting pair is Bagley-Giles, that they eventually work to that. I don't think that us looking for a starting center means we never see Bagley there. And that's partially why I'm not about throwing max money at Vujovic. I don't think you are either. I think that we talked to Tim about this. He said the same thing. I'd rather get quality role guys in like a Patrick Beverly. You can still get a Brook Lopez, Dwayne Deadman, maybe a Danny Green, Trevor Ariza, something in there. I'd rather divide the money a little bit and get guys that are going to cover our holes a little bit more rather than – I don't think we need
1: one superstar. Absolutely. We've been over this, but for anyone listening to this episode for the first time – or to this podcast for the first time, that is definitely my approach, especially for center. I don't need, I, I don't want someone who's going to come in and get a thirty-five million dollar payday at center for the next four years. That's to me that that does encroach on the ability of this team to maximize Bagley. I don't need him to start at center right away. I think that there's something to be said for that, but you can start him at the four alongside a guy like Deadman or Brook Lopez they are around 30 so by the end of their say say we sign Deadman to a three year deal a year and a half down the road we move him out of the starting lineup and get Bagley in there when he's ready or you know you start Bagley at the 4 start Deadman at the 5 you on the first sub you bring out Deadman you can slide Bagley up to the 5 slide Barnes maybe up to the 4 bit of a small ball look there that i'd be interested in What type of big do you
0: look for to put next to Bagley? I mean, those two guys that you mentioned, the main thing I noticed in them is
1: spacing. Is that 1A that you're looking for? 1A, 100%, because Bagley doesn't quite shoot it enough or consistently enough. You can't pair him with a non-shooter, So, because then you've essentially got two guys that aren't effective shooting the ball, and then that causes all the way across the floor Vucevic, I get the appeal of him because he is a tremendous shooter. And a guy like Deadman, they fit that, that same kind of a role without costing insane amounts of money. And then the point of this, hopefully, is the point of Bagley at the five is that he'll eventually be able to stretch the floor himself as well as protect the rim. So that's, that's the number two thing I'm looking for is rim protection. And so Brook Lopez, I think is like an ideal candidate for this. Yeah. Um, whether he'll be available, whether Milwaukee will let him go, it remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think he's a little bit more of an expensive option, obviously, and he's a bit older. Um, he might be getting a little bit overhyped with everything that's going on with, with Milwaukee. Obviously, people are double training, tipple trimming, teaming Giannis when he's driving into the paint. So, of course, Brooke Lopez is going to be wide open on the perimeter, even though at this point he's growing into crazily one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And yeah, I think he'll be a little bit more money. Deadman's sitting on 7 million a year, but I'm the same as you. I'm not worried about the rebounding, even though we're one of the worst rebounding teams in regards to opponent rebounding this year, because I think that getting more minutes to Bagley and Giles will really help with that. So that's less of a concern for me. I don't want them to be a terrible rebounder, but if you can put a body on the opposing center and let Bagley or Giles chase the board, then I'm good.
1: Totally. Bagley has been a a fine rebounder. He really struggled at first, the beginning of the year, but you know, he's come around really nicely since the all-star break. He had 12 and 14 rebounds his last two games. Yeah. He's a totally fine rebounder. I, I mean, for a guy with his frame, he's a very good rebounder. A lot of that comes on. He's an amazing offensive rebounder. So, I think a little bit needs to be worked on there on the defensive boards but yeah and then if we are going to if I'm going with the theory of starting Bagley at the 5 I think Miritich would be a great guy to look at he's like a a rich man's Bielitza so yeah. if you're trying to to make it work like that where you have Miritich and Bielitza as your options at the 4 spread they keep the floor spread they keep they give, they bring a stretchy element um, until Bagley can do that himself, and, and then Bagley has space to work. If he needs to, you know, he can pass out. He can get better at passing out, and I think that there's a scenario there where you play, listen, Bagley and Giles, those are our fives. Miritich and Bailey said those are our fours. I wouldn't hate that look either.
0: Yeah, I would rather. I mean, with Miritich, I do worry about the injuries a little bit, and I think he gets a decent amount of money. My only thing is that, I feel like I want one big center on our team. And I think that Bagley and Giles can do an okay job there. But like you said, I mean, we have Belly, who is like that Miratich light that you talked about. He can perform the same sort of role on a lesser level, but I don't feel like we have that that big center that can rim protect and just have some size to him, really. So, for me, I feel like there's more of a hole there that you're less versatile if you're going after more of a wing guy or a four, like a Miritich, Aminu on a
1: lesser level. So, I'd rather get a Deadman Lopez. I'm still with you there. And then I guess one other name I'll throw out there if he declines his option is All. Hopefully, it'd be mm. a shorter deal because he is a much older guy. I would but love yeah. That. He fits, you know what we're talking about right now. He fits that. Yeah, so we're gonna skip down a couple questions here.
0: This one is from user It's Chopped and realistic big man in the offseason, like we just touched on, he throws a name in here that I never thought of is Zubok. Is Zubok
1: on a restricted though? He is. He is. Um so I just had kind of assumed that it's a, it's a great poll, it's a great name to throw out there and get in the mix, but I had assumed that the Clippers are going to retain him because he has started 24 games for them. And I think they like the table. Montrez coming off the bench. I'm sorry, I'm always bad at that name, but I'll just call him Harrell. He is just such an amazing six-man type. He brings so much energy that I think they like kind of having Harrell off the bench.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But if LA is looking at adding say two max guys what if they're looking for I I mean I'm a believer in Kawhi going there I don't necessarily know who the second guy would be say they just to throw another one in there Kawhi and Jimmy I don't know if that Subak honestly then becomes part of the
1: market good point there's no reason not to test the waters there although I do think if it's any sort of reasonable contract that they'll probably bring him back yeah you're you're right that they could be big fish you know they're they're looking at the big fish only they really can bring back bring in two big names two max guys however I, I like what they I like what I've seen from him I think they they like what they've seen from him and unless it's you know money like unless it's a bad contract that we're offering I think they'll probably match
0: yeah fair enough and the next question he has, who's going to be the Igudala of our team? And it's funny because we get a lot of these warrior comparisons, obviously. I mean, there was the Kurt Jackson. Now it's adding the Igudala. I mean, these are major moments for what is now the best roster in NBA history. I mean, you can't expect that we're going to bring in some just coming off all-star type years. I don't know if we necessarily need one either. I get the veteran presence. Like I think if we were to manage a Danny Green, a Trevor Ariza, which both are going to demand a little bit more money, but at the same time, I mean, Barnes can be that for us a little bit also. He's from that Golden State team. I don't think that it's necessary that we get this great player, and I don't necessarily see one out there either.
1: Good question. My first thought was... Actually, a guy we talked about last week, and that is Pat Beverly. Position, but brings a lot of that scrappiness, a lot of that IQ. You know, maybe this question is a year too early because Iguodala was added to his team that really wanted to make the jump from her to to competition to to championship competition. It could be that guy uh who's got the experience, knows how to win, brings an element to the team that the Kings just don't have right now.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, in regards to culture changing, I see that. I, I think that I just got thrown off by the name Igodala specifically because he was just such a good player right before that. And it, it's just... I don't see someone of that caliber necessarily, but in the way that they change the culture and just switch it up with that veteran presence, I think that Beverly and both potentially Lopez also could be that factor. Next one we got here. The username is God Papa Giannis. And how do you feel about the potential of a Fox and buddy backcourt top one in the NBA one day? I will get to that. So starting with the potential of that backcourt, I'm happy with it. I'm obviously ecstatic about moving this forward. I think that Fox is the leader of this team. I think that Buddy complements him perfectly. They both complement each other, really. I think they run in transition really well. I think that Fox is going to grow into a great defender, and Buddy will at least be capable. I don't think, obviously, there's a little bit of, like, a Clay Thompson comparison you've seen thrown in there sometimes. I don't think he grows into that level defender but if he can get a little smarter, that the effort is not an issue. And there's not a crazy weakness that I necessarily see in that duo. So I'm totally comfortable moving forward with those two.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm beyond thrilled with these guys. This is the best part of the Kings team right here is their backcourt. No doubt. However, it does go back to, and like you said in the last question, these questions go back to the Warriors, If we're talking about greatness, it's unfortunately we're going to be comparing ourselves to the Warriors. And like you did say, the Clay Thompson comparison, that's a comparison that I've brought up as disagreeing with. Or that that was the hope for Buddy, is that he could become the 3 and D. He's not that. They are a fantastic pair. They do complement each other so well. One is just a super elite knockdown shooter. The other is an amazing distributor as well as defender. And now he's starting to shoot it himself. So here, if we are talking about their potential top one, that also is going back to the Warriors. So really, how long do we see the Curry Thompson duo being at their peak? Because to me, that's, you know, when they decline, I think the Chris Paul Harden duo will decline faster than them. Yeah so it's going to be about dethroning thompson curry
0: yeah and to me i don't think there's a crazy amount of time left and the timeline that fox specifically is in his peak is likely for me after that um i mean do you think it's crazy to say four years for steph clay
1: no i think that's pretty much on the money uh they are not going to be 34 and 35 years old and the best backcourt duo yeah. in the league i i don't think that's possible and i think it's also you know technically possible he it leaves it's possible that injuries get the best of even curry so i mean 5 years from now buddy will be 31 And De'Aaron will be 26, so that's I mean that's a sweet spot there because Buddy's his game should age pretty well considering how athletic he is now and how what he does best shooting is not reliant on athleticism. So yeah, four years you had a 25 year old and a 30 year old, probably the peak of their their arc as a duo.
0: Yeah. So then the other guys we'd be looking at down the line. Um, first one to throw in there that I feel like we are pretty comfortably above would be a Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Landry, Shaman. I think that they're nice, but I do think that Fox and Buddy are better than them. Looking after that, I mean, there's a lot where they have one piece, but not the other quite there. So like if Phoenix were to get John Morant and they had Morant Booker there, or if he went to Chicago two places that both really need a point guard. All of a sudden you have Morant, Levine. I don't know. I think that we're comfortable since we have it set, you know, the ones that I found myself comparing them to have this asterisk or thing that they'd be relying on in order to get that good. So top one, I mean, I do think there's potential. What do you think of like a Kyrie, Jalen Brown? Cause Kyrie's still really young. Kyrie's 26. Jalen's in his third year.
1: I thought of that one myself. That was one of the first ones that I thought of that could really compete. Although I'll be honest with you. I think Kyrie is out of town. So, (laughs) Hmm. um, but that's just, that's my take. It's not certainly not reliable there. I know that you are also a bit of a Celtics fan. So maybe you have more insight than me on that. I am. That's my soft spot in the
0: East. I think that Kyrie stays because I think Kyrie wants to run his own team. And I think it's been difficult, but. I think that he understands that a lot of this was difficult with waiting for Gordon to come back and figuring out roles. I don't know. I don't think that relationships are screwed there, that I think that everything can be solved in Boston, that I think they'll have a nice playoff run, and I think that Kyrie ends up staying. But I think that that backcourt is possibly better than
1: Fox Buddy down the line. Certainly possible. Got the ages right for sure. Brown has been coming off the bench mostly, right? He has been. And so
0: normally they've been starting Marcus. Jalen's kind of interesting in that we kind of touched on it with what they're doing with Bagley, where they're featuring him in the
1: second lineup. Right, right. Well, I love Marcus Smart. But, yeah, the problem with a lot of these is defense. And it's harder to figure out where the defense will come in. I don't know much about John Morant. I certainly can't tell you if he will become, you know, an above-average defender or not. But my concern is, doesn't sound like a defensive powerhouse. Neither does Booker and Levine. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't even want to talk about Levine in in any of these scenarios. He can no. I'm, by the way, super glad. I More every day. I am I, <laughs> uh, I happier that the, the Bulls matched that offer. Um, yeah, Shy and Chemette, I think it's a sneaky, interesting one throughout there. Both super underrated guys who's a pure shooter and a guy who can play great defense and got size, but no, I their ceilings are nowhere near. Yeah, they're constantly. more compliments to me. The add reality is what's gonna happen here uh is that there's gonna be another super team type move where somewhere or Jimmy Butler goes somewhere or It's so hard to tell how where even half these players are going to be in four years. That is probably the biggest competitor to you know, along with how well the Warriors age and how well how high the peak is of Fox and Buddy. Third option in the mix of just where is everyone? Where are we going? You know, who's going to be where?
0: Yeah. So to throw a hypothetical out here, say that the Wizards wanted to shop Bradley Beal, the. The Hawks have a lot of cap space and a lot of assets. Is Trey Young, Bradley Beal, a better backcourt in the future than Fox and Buddy?
1: I think it could be. Trey has a – like his defense is just got awful himself. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised you didn't throw Huerta on there.
0: Yeah, Herder. I
1: thought of that a little bit, but
0: to me, I just don't. I know he's a rookie, but – I don't see that duo, especially like you were talking with the defense. I I think that he's good. So you're right. I definitely have to mention Kevin Herter, but it's just not, it's not the same level as Buddy or Fox for me.
1: Gotcha. And excuse my pronunciation there. I know that the Hawks are trying to basically build the Warriors 2.0 with Herter and Young. I mean, that's, they even brought, you know, Travis Schlenk was brought over with that vision from the Warriors so yeah I mean and Trey is is baby Steph or, or whatever however you put it and and I don't know that Herter will ever have the defensive upside as Clay Thompson but I think that's certainly the theory uh, and it would be a bummer if <laughs> if the Kings just got surpassed by like be a Muppets baby version of the Warriors in that way yeah
0: I don't know I'm happy with what we have though, because like I said, for these other ones, you can point out a weakness and for us, I feel like it's, it's well-rounded that there's nothing that you're going to exploit with this backcourt
1: necessarily. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I think that top one, we can debate that, but can they be a top five consistently a top five backcourt for a handful of years? I think that's, that may mean more. And I think that's very much very much within reach.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I don't think it's necessarily important to be the best one in the league, but I don't think that I there's any backcourt that I would swap them for. Not right now. Yeah, so next one we got here is from Exit Strategy and this is why am I so H4H and to not say exactly what that means, it pretty much is exci- excited for Harry and There's a reason that the entire subreddit on the Kings is super excited for Harry Giles. I mean, I just figured we could use this to talk about what he does well. And part of this is because he has this hype behind him of being the number one guy in high school before he had both of these injuries. But I don't want to downplay those injuries at the same time. They're going to have a major effect on him. They already have, obviously. But it's just the flashes and the potential that you see the passing, and it's just such a well-rounded game. There's the passing, the vision, he's able to shoot, he's able to play some defense at times. Obviously, the fouling has been really bad at first, but he's slowly, you've been able to watch him progress. And the rebounding, so I feel like it's just all there and he's just oozing with potential is why everyone's
1: so excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy's very exciting. And let me just say, this this can be a little bit of story time, I got to meet Harry when he was playing for the G League affiliate. And I mean, putting aside what's on the basketball court, because it is all very exciting there as well. I don't know how to really describe it exactly to you, but I spoke with Morgan Reagan and Mason down there. And they were just like, this guy is the coolest guy, the nicest guy. They interact with him a lot. And then you know, Morgan had said that Harry's the kind of guy who will see her walking towards a door and he'll just drop whatever she, he's doing and he'll run over there and hold the door open for him because <laughs> that's just the type of dude that harry is after i got to speak with him and all that i was like hey man thank you so much for her. cool and we went to shake hands and uh horror story here you know that handshake when you like get half the hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah you choked that i did I, I choked i did that with my hero and all of our heroes, Harry Giles, and so I'll forever be cringing on that. But then again, dude's got, like, catching mitts for hands, so I yeah. don't know how I was supposed to get the whole handshake in there. But anyway, enough of my story time. Uh, Harry Giles is super awesome. I, I really enjoyed talking to him. When I would bring up stuff that I saw on the court, he would get, like, really interested and, in, like, into it and respond back, like, yeah, totally, man. I am just going to say that. Like, he was actually paying attention to what I was saying. He interacts with the media so well of a star as well and not in that bad sense of like he's too big for the media or anything he's just like this is like a movie star type of personality if you ever get the chance to say what's up to him he's just a friendly guy a nice guy a gentleman and a scholar yeah and he really reps sacramento like you saw him
0: wearing the dvac jersey yesterday and he just seems to love the fan base he's constantly interacting with them i think that There's just no reason not to like this guy, like you said. And that's a crazy story. That's super, super cool that you were able to meet him and have a conversation. I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, he's the man. Do you think he's eventually
1: a starter on this team? That's the hope. I see him as a power forward, as a center. So I have been very confused about why they have been played at the opposite positions. I, I see him starting a power forward for this team eventually. You see him with a little bit of that point forward skill. He certainly did that, uh, especially to, to start the second half of it. He had a huge game, in yeah, possessions, and he was uh, dribbling into handoffs, and he was coming around the back side of screens. He was shooting threes. He was <laughs> just drilling threes. So I he's got so much versatility that I feel using him as a traditional center is probably not the best way to go. I want to see him. Facilitating more. I know all of these are things that are being used more in, in the, in the center position anyway, but Bagley to me screams five where, where Giles to me just screams kind of versatile big. I, I see if we're going again with the Warriors metaphor here, I'm hoping that Giles is more of the Draymond play center in small ball lineups, hopefully but I don't know that he's ever going to be like a starting center. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, I feel about the same way. He almost, though, passing-wise, kind of reminds me of like a bogey Al Horford type guy. But those almost fall under Draymond a little bit. Maybe not bogey, but Horford does. I agree with what you're saying there, pretty much. I hope that he eventually can fill that front court next to Marvin Bagley. And I don't think it needs to be too picky on Who is the four? Who's the five? As long as they can play together well, that they can complement each other's strengths and cover each other's weaknesses. So I think that they have the potential. And like you said, the goal is eventually that's the starting front court. 100%. So another question we got here, second to last, this is Bill Lord Zero. I'd love to know how we as an organization drastically improved our player development. So do you think that the organization, maybe they were just were a little more patient? I think that they kind of embraced the tank. Once they traded for Buddy, they gave Giles that entire season off. I think
1: that they just have been more patient is really what it is. Okay, so we're going long view here. How have they improved? It's a tough question. I mean, my initial response to this was just thinking that day-to-day question that quite frankly, I can't answer because I don't see what they're working on in practice. I can't, you know what I mean? I think we get a guy like Deuce in here on the podcast or if we can get Morgan on the podcast, someone like that might have a little bit more of an insight to the day-to-day workings of the team. I mean, man, it'd be awesome to, to try to snag a beat writer who sees them every day to understand the process of developing these players If we're talking more of the long view of how they improved over years, I think that obviously the Cousins trade was the inflection point of this team for better or for worse. And it's certainly appears to be paying off quite a bit. I don't want to Kings made out like bandits because Cousins went down with an injury. That feels unfair to me. It feels a little bit icky to talk about the Kings winning that trade because of that. But yeah, you know, I, I guess the focus shifted from trying to build a team that could win with Demarcus Cousins to trying to build a more all-round, not so centrally, not so centralized focus team. Yeah, I would agree
0: with that. And like you said, it's just a little hard because we're not in that locker room in the practices every single day. So specifically, I mean, we get a guy on, we will definitely ask that question for you. We're just as curious as you. The last one we have here, we actually have answered this exact question before, but it's a good one. It is Sir Justinian, I believe is how you would say it. Besides more time to grow, what pushes this team to the next level? And before when we answered this, we pretty much said that there's not much that's really needed. I feel like we have all the pieces in play. I think that Fox is our future leader, that he could emotionally and with the level of his play, I think that... Him with the right guys around him, which I do feel like are Buddy Hield, Marvin Bagley, Harry Giles, Bogdanovich, can get you to that championship level. I think that if your argument is you need a superstar type player that can get you a bucket at any time, I feel like you can give the ball to Bagley down low eventually, and he can work like that. And if he needs to, he can kick it out to Fox, who. At some point, I feel like we'll be able to get to the rim whenever he wants, draw contact. Buddy will be able to shoot outside. Same with Bogey. I feel like we have everything here. It just needs a little bit of time and covering up some small holes with
1: role players. Sure. Yeah. We did answer the same question last week. No problem going over it again. I think we are adding new listeners each episode. I think the core is here. It's about retaining that core, signing some extensions this offseason. Obviously, we want to keep. Bogey around, keep Buddy around. You know, this actually brings up an interesting question. I'll throw this to you, Bogdanovich. His maximum extension, I believe, is four years, something in the ballpark of fifty-two million. Would you just give him that that maximum? It's it's due to his the the wonky nature of his uh, his rookie scale. It's not a rookie scale deal. So that's he came in on a three year deal. It's under thirty million, so that is the max for him, I believe, right now. Would be four years, fifty-two. Would you just, would you just sign that this second? Yeah, I mean, a little over twelve million a year, I
0: think, is what that comes out to. I'm not, I'm not upset with that. I feel like that's an okay offer. I've got hope in Bogey, and I think worst case, he doesn't work out or something, you can use that as a nice trade piece. He's gonna have the potential, like we've talked about. I see him in like a Ginobili super sub type role. I'd be happy. I don't think that's too much money for
1: him. I'd be happy with that as well. Worst case, his knee continues to get worse. But, but yeah, I would, I would give him that. And actually, that honestly feels like a fair uh, trade off there. If we are committing to, if the Kings commit to a four year deal, a little bit over 50 million guaranteed in money. Maybe Bogey could get more than that on a year-to-year basis. Probably he could get more than that on a year-to-year basis on the free market, but uh, he probably wants a little bit of that safety, that insurance with his knee. Uh, you know, having the same injury to that knee twice now and seven next season. So I think that feels like a pretty fair deal. I'd love to see that get done. So Bogey and Buddy would be fantastic. Finding a the long-term solution for playing it out one more year or signing him to something like four years, $75 somewhere in that ballpark. And then got to sort out this Jaeger-Brandon Williams thing. Like this is the thing. Honestly, this is probably the number one obstacle the Kings are facing is this front office turmoil. One to just get along. I think that's what Vlade wants too. I think that's what Vivek wants too. You know, unfortunately maybe Jaeger does have to go, but we need a group of guys in the front office that are all good with each other and all, they all have a common goal, but they all need to work with it. They all need to be happy working with each other to achieve it. So those are the big things for me.
0: Yeah, I'm the same there. And that actually is it that we have for these Reddit questions here. We'll be looking to do these once a week. So if you want to go to reddit.com slash r slash kings, our thread will be at the very top of that page, and you can put whatever questions in there. You can send them to the Twitter page at kings underscore pulse. But that is all we had for this week. And actually, those were all the topics that I had for us too. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on here, Rich? I'm good, Brennan. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for another one coming out on Wednesday. A season recap after we close out the final game, hopefully reaching that 40 win mark against Portland. Have a good one, everybody.
1: For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together, for the Pathfinders breaking new ground.